Good evening, good evening, Strong Stance listeners. I'm your host, Eli Strong. And friends, I have to tell you that I am tired. I'm more than tired. I'm exhausted. Over the last several weeks, these bathroom bills have been consuming. And it's not just the bills, you know, it's, it's the conversations that inevitably come with them. Um, for those that don't know, or just a refresher for those that do, in the last several weeks, both the state of North Carolina and the city of Oxford, Alabama, have passed legislation limiting or prohibiting the trans community from utilizing the public facilities of their correct gender. Um, you know, for several weeks, I posted little other than news. And then after unfriending a number of people because the vitriol and and hate I was seeing was just too much for me to mentally stomach any longer, I started voicing why some of these bills make no sense and the increased risk they pose to the trans community. Voicing those points brought out more conversations, both civil, educated conversations as well as hateful, ignorant ones. And I'm tired And these aren't laws on the other side of the world or across the country that don't affect me. These are laws that are in places I regularly find myself in. Most of you know that while I currently live in Georgia, I'm originally from Alabama. Most of my family lives outside Birmingham, which has me driving through Oxford, Alabama anytime I go visit. Most of you may also know that my day job is based in Washington, D.C., And every time that I fly into the main office, I have a layover in Charlotte, North Carolina. My wife's family all live in North Carolina. We're looking for a farm in North Carolina. So it leaves me in this place of feeling like these are both homes in a way to me and feeling extremely personal about what's happening. So I'm doing something I've never done before on this podcast. There will be no guests tonight. Just me. I just want to talk about this issue. I need to process it. And right now, this is the best way I know how. To just lay out what's on my mind at the moment and how I feel about it. So before I start talking about the back and forth of all the different positions, let's talk about the two laws that have gotten the most press. Uh, The first is North Carolina's HB2. Now, there's a ton that can be talked about with regard to HB2, from what it covers, what it doesn't cover, what it forbids or allows, to the disgraceful way in which it was passed. But right now, I just want to talk about the quote-unquote bathroom or public facilities portion of the law. As of March 23rd, 2016... Anyone using a public facility in the state of North Carolina must use the facility that matches their, quote, biological sex. Now, first, I want to clear something up, and this is something that seems to be misreported a lot with regard to this bill. Well, with both bills, in fact. The law states that biological sex is defined as the sex designated on that person's birth certificate, not what sex they were originally assigned at birth. Now, that's a, that's a pretty important distinction because for some folks, that is one and the same, and for some folks, it's not. Um, the reason I want to bring that up is that I've heard a lot of discussion within the trans community about, um, you know, 
different different memes have popped up on Facebook about you're asking for this person to use the women's restroom or you're asking for this person to use the men's restroom when the the photos show someone who uh, most cis people would never assume to be trans basically meaning that they are read as their correct gender or the term that you know I kind of hate is that they quote unquote pass um, but there is some passing privilege that goes into these laws, and, and I will talk about that. Um, but the the other reason why I want to bring this up is that for the well-meaning trans folks that do want to uh, protest this law in either of these um, these areas by going into the bathroom that the law says that they have to and basically showing, see, this is what you're asking for. You're asking for a woman to go into the men's room because you won't allow her, allow her to use the correct restroom or you're asking for um, someone who you think looks like every other guy that you know going into the women's room. It, it's important to remember what this law says and what it doesn't because if you have had your birth certificate changed and legally even and with this law, you should be using the bathroom of your correct gender. You can also get into some hot water there. Um, now, of course, that's just a warning. Uh, you know, I encourage people to protest in whatever means that they find necessary, um, hopefully peacefully. But um, and if going to going getting arrested for something like this is something that you want to do, I am definitely not telling you not to. I'm just trying to state that this is something that a lot of people have kind of glossed over or not really explained. Um, that this does have to do that both areas are defining quote unquote biological sex as what is. Stated on your birth certificate. Okay. The other thing about this law is that the state of North Carolina has basically said that this is what has to happen in um, public facilities that are government run, but really leaves each business to adopt their own or make their own policy. And so after all was said and done, a number of businesses, most publicly Target, stated that trans people could use whichever restroom they most identified with rather than what was marked on their birth certificate. Okay. Now, in response to that decision by Target, which they said applied to all Target customers and employees in all locations, the city of Oxford, Alabama, on April 26, 2016, passed City Ordinance 2016-18 that also states that people using public restrooms and changing facilities must use the facility that matches their biological sex, quote-unquote. Uh, like North Carolina, the law defines that biological sex as what's designated on one's birth certificate. But here's the two main difference between North Carolina's law and Oxford's law. Um, first, while HB2 in North Carolina doesn't specifically address the penalty for violating this law, Oxford's ordinance places the penalty at a $500 fine and up to six months in jail, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, second, while North Carolina's law allows private businesses like Target to set their own policy, Oxford's law states that all businesses must follow this new ordinance that they've passed and cannot set their own policy. So the Target in Oxford, and yes, there is one, uh, can't refuse to follow the law. Can they turn a blind eye? Sure. But if a Target customer is uncomfortable with another customer's presence in the restroom and calls the police, which, by the way, is what the police department is requesting that they do, it's what the government requests that they do, is report people, report suspects who they think are breaking this law, 
that um, if they call the police, the law is still in place and that person can be arrested regardless of Target's corporate policy. Okay, And these two differences have led a number of people to consider Oxford's law the strictest in the nation. So let's talk brass tacks. Like most of the harmful side effects of being trans in a transphobic society, these laws disproportionately affect trans women, particularly those who are not read as women by the general public and gender nonconforming people. Uh, trans men are also affected, but society doesn't seem as threatened by trans men, and that has been blatantly obvious in the quote-unquote concerns that the, public's, that the public has voiced. All of those concerns paint the target as deviant men in dresses trying to harm women and children, but that doesn't change the fear that a majority of trans people feel when using a public facility, a, a restroom, um, or a locker room, or changing room in in you know some public facility, as the law states, where there uh, a person would be partially or completely in a state of undress, um, and that's particularly in an area with one of these bills, right? So you know, I started testosterone uh, about a uh, little less than eight years ago. Um, and so I have been read as male for the most part for quite a while. But it doesn't really change the fact that every time I walk into a public bathroom, there's a moment of fear and a moment of hesitation right before I walk into um, a men's room. And that fear is heightened when I walk in to find another person in there. Um, and that is regardless of where that is. That doesn't matter if I'm in San Francisco or in Birmingham or in Georgia or whatever the case may be. Honestly, the only time that doesn't happen is if I'm in someone's house. And, you know, quite frankly, even in someone's house, if I don't know them that well, I'm praying that the lock on that door works. I cannot tell you the number of times that I've gone to a public bathroom or even a private bathroom, closed the door, locked it, and then tested the lock myself to see can somebody bust in here because that is the the level of just normal fear that that I tend to live with um you know there's a there's a lot of bars in in you know the places that I've been that uh that have bathrooms single stall or otherwise where the lock just quite frankly doesn't work if there is a lock to begin with I've been walked in on installs several times like that's a that's a normal thing and you know most cisgender men and maybe most cisgender women wouldn't think twice about that oh how embarrassing is maybe the only thing that they would think of but for for me you know I I brief other friends. If I've just gone into a bathroom and I'm with a group of trans friends, um, and particularly if they're going to be using the men's restroom, you know, I might tell them, "Hey, listen, there's no lock on the door, but the width of the you know the bathroom is 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 slim enough to where you can wedge your foot up against it and nobody can walk in." That's the level of fear, even after eight years, and the level of prep work that my brain goes through just to go to the bathroom. Okay, and that's before all of these laws happen. So now use that, you know, compound that with walking into a bathroom in a place where, you know, Oxford, I never lived in Oxford, but it is quite frequent that when I go back and forth to Birmingham, that is one of the places where my wife and I will stop to have dinner or stop to do a little shopping. I think there's a bookstore there that we've stopped a couple times at to pick up some magazines or some adult coloring books and, you know, whatever the case may be. And as I mentioned, North Carolina, I'm there all the time. And so when these laws are passed, they're not targeting me, but 
and and they're not targeting a good chunk of the rest of uh, the trans community, particularly trans men or people who, you know, are read as their correct gender. But but we're collateral damage. We, it still affects our mental and emotional, and therefore, you know, by extension, our physical health. Particularly if we do what a good chunk of trans people do, which is hold it, which is never a a comfortable or healthy thing to do. So, but but I do want to make it clear that I'm not the person that these laws are targeting. So if I'm not the person that they're targeting and I'm still feeling this kind of feeling about it, I cannot imagine what it is like to to walk into a, a women's restroom as a trans woman, particularly a trans woman of color, at, at that intersection, you know, of lack of privilege, especially, I mean, regardless of whether a birth certificate has been changed, right? Um, but I, I do want to make that very clear that, that I'm going to talk about a number of things that I feel about here, but I do recognize that I, I'm not the main target of these laws, like most things in our transphobic society. It is not me that they are targeting. It is very often trans women and gender nonconforming people. Um, so I, w- I want to talk about some of the the – the statements that people have made as as their argument for why these laws are necessary, um, and and when I refer to these laws, I'm going to try to keep it such that these laws that I'm talking about are the HB two in North Carolina and 2016-18 in Oxford or other bathroom laws like it. I am not talking about laws that grant, you know, the laws like there are in, in D.C. that grant full equality, okay? Um, but some of the, the things that people have come to me and said as far as this is why they're concerned or this is why they think that they'd be a good idea, I want to talk about those. I want to give them real space because I want to break them down and talk about the reasons why I quite honestly think that – while I get why you might think that, it's not a legitimate fear, and it is quite frankly not it, – it's not founded. Um, and so just kind of in a – the points that are made, the counterpoints that there are, that kind of thing, where the point is this is why this law is good and the counterpoints are really breaking this down into, no, this is, <laughs> this is, this is not the way we go about um, our society. Um, and, and of course, one of the first points that, that has been made by the vast majority of people, and these, these are particularly people who usually do not know any trans people that make this statement, and, and that's that we have to protect women and children from trans people, or the way they often term it is it, it, even if they, they say transgenders, uh, or they, they're really talking about, and they do often say, they, they term them as men in dresses, right? We have to protect women and children from men in dresses, right? And, I mean, look, counterpoint right out the gate. Trans women are women, not men. There have been and, – and, and there have been no instances that I can find of actual trans people, specifically trans women, perpetrating violence against, against cis women in a public bathroom. In fact, it's, it's trans women who are the targets or victims of violence at the hands of cis people in public facilities. There was a Williams Institute report in 2013 that said, quote, roughly 70% of trans people have reported being denied entrance – assaulted or harassed while trying to use a restroom just trying to use a restroom 
So I don't really see I, – I, I don't I, – I get that this is a, a fear-mongering tactic, but trans women are not the ones – you're not seeing articles come out about a trans woman walking into a bathroom and you know assaulting or beating up or, or, or even threatening a cis woman in the bathroom or children, okay? In fact, it is usually the opposite. A cis person will see a trans woman in a bathroom, freak out, try to force them to leave, and usually it is you know it ends in some type of assault or altercation of some sort. Uh, the The other point that is often you know made is that okay, let's you know let's take trans people out of the mix. That this is about protecting women and children from assault, rape, and harm. Right? We're not gonna we're not gonna point the finger at trans people right now. We're just gonna make a blank, blanket statement that that having this law protects women and children from assault, rape, and harm. And honestly, this is one of the ones that has frustrated me the most because we live in a in in a rape culture to where if this was truly the point, it it's just it's so far off base because if this were really about protection, our society wouldn't constantly question a woman's claim of sexual abuse, what she was wearing, where she was walking, what she had been drinking, what she had said or done to cause the attack. Okay? We wouldn't force rape victims to pay for their own rape kits. Okay? In 2014, CBS found that 13 states had been found to charge the victim of rape for the collection of evidence to investigate and prosecute those crimes. And at the end of 2015, there were still several states that had not ended this practice. And that is obscene. So if we're really talking about protecting women, then let's actually do something to stop assaults on women, stop rapes on women, and let's not further victimize them by forcing them to relive this tragedy over and over again, by forcing them to relive this violence over and over again, by finding some way to blame the victim and, and, and forcing them to pay for the investigation of a crime that they had zero responsibility in, in having a hand in it being committed. And there also wouldn't be thousands of backlogged rape kits. To add insult to injury, can you imagine shelling out your own money to pay to have a rape kit collected only to find that your self-paid rape kit is collecting dust in an evidence room years later, along with hundreds of thousands of others. In 2014, it was estimated that there were around 400,000 rape kits that had been backlogged. Now, a number of states have been making reforms and working to end this backlog, but even now, there are currently 30 states reporting a backlog of close to 145,000 backlogged kits. 145,000 in 30 states. That means that there are 20 other states in the District of Columbia that either aren't reporting their backlog or have no method of tracking them. Now, if you want more information about where the backlog exists, there's actually an interactive map and tons of stats over at endthebacklog.com, which is where I got a lot of this information for um, about the number of cases that have been backlogged. Um, so we're questioning women's allegations of rape. We're forcing them to pay for their own rape kits. We're then not even processing those rape kits. And then, if this was really about protection, again, an Oklahoma court 
wouldn't have just said that forced oral sex is not considered rape if the victim is unconscious. Specifically, the ruling stated, Forcible sodomy cannot occur where a victim is so intoxicated as to be completely unconscious at the time of the sexual act of oral copulation. That is ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. Now, I get that what the court is saying is that we have this patchwork of laws that don't cover this one particular instance, but I find it very hard to believe that this is the first time that something like this has ever come up in the state of Oklahoma and that there isn't some kind of, of you know, previous case that set precedent to be used for, for the court to just say, no, we can't. We can't go after this. We, we can't do anything about it. Sorry. Right? I, it's, 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 it's ridiculous to me. Now, you know, we started this with the point of all of this is to protect women and children from rape and assault and violence. Okay? Um, and we've talked about all the different ways in which rape culture is, is just reinforced and that if this was really about protection, that we wouldn't have these things, right? That these would be things that we'd focus our energy on things where it's necessary. Um, the next thing that I kind of want to point out is that if we're really talking about protecting women and children, we should look at the fact that there are currently no bills to ban convicted sex offenders from using public restrooms. There's an estimated... 700,000-ish trans people in the United States, though given the stigma of coming out publicly, that number is likely much higher, or at least a bit higher. Um, the real number, I mean, is, us- is, is likely higher than that. In contrast, as of March 31st, 2016, there are over 805,000 registered sex offenders in the United States. So when a sex offender, a convicted sex offender, is released from prison, he or she is immediately able to use public facilities while a trans person can't. Tell me how that protects the general public from known sex offenders. Because if the bill is to protect people, why are we targeting trans people instead of people that have actually been convicted of harming folks before? I mean, these laws, they simply keep people with an M on their birth certificate in the men's room and those with an F on their birth certificate in the women's room. This doesn't protect boys from other men or girls from other women. It is a fact that there are male sex offenders that abuse boys and that there are female sex offenders that abuse girls. And if we take a step back and look at all the violence, not just sexual abuse, the stats rise even further. Just a handful of days ago, a 16-year-old girl was beaten to death in a school bathroom by three other girls. There was an altercation, and then she was jumped, and she died. These laws don't do anything to protect any of those people. The people that have been abused before, it does not, this law does not protect them from sex offenders that have, that have been convicted and release this this law doesn't protect you know women from each other or men from other men it doesn't do any of that if this was really about protection there are real things we can focus our energy on 
namely a bunch of the stuff that I just mentioned. Let's end the backlog. Let's stop questioning women when when they bring real stories of sexual abuse and physical abuse at the hands of strangers and loved ones and, and husbands and fathers and uncles and grandfathers and whoever it is. There are things that we can really do to protect women and children. These laws aren't them. Now, the next point that I hear come from a lot of people, and usually these are people that do know trans people, right? They, they know trans folks. They, they know that trans people aren't the problem, but they say it's, it's not the trans people I worry about. It's the perverts who will exploit this law to gain access to women's public bathrooms to assault or otherwise harm women and children. Now, straight out the gate, generally speaking, rapists and sex offenders don't really usually care about the law. A law is not what is stopping them from entering a place they shouldn't be or doing something they shouldn't do. There's nothing stopping them from going into a women's bathroom now. Public bathrooms aren't some magical safe space. There is no bouncer at the door. They can just walk in. Okay? That's not a thing. Laws that allow trans people to use the bathroom that matches their gender identity doesn't protect sex offenders from the law when they assault, rape, or otherwise harm someone else in the bathroom. And that includes peeping. Those things are still illegal, regardless of where you are. They are still breaking the law, and they can still be arrested. There's, there's nothing in these laws that the lack of having them there protects people that are doing this. Those perverts that so many people have asked me about, and yes, it has been multiple, there's nothing in the lack of these laws that protects them. And there's nothing in full equality of public spaces in those laws that protects them. It doesn't matter whether you're cis or trans or otherwise. If you go into a bathroom and commit a crime, it is still a crime. If you don't go into the bathroom and commit that crime, it is still a crime. There's nothing about being in the bathroom that makes it somehow safe. And there's nothing that is harboring folks with, the, with, with equal access to correct public facilities. Now add to that that there has been no increase in exploitation in places that have instituted anti-discrimination laws. The staff attorney at the ACLU LGBT project was quoted as saying over 200 municipalities and 18 states have non-discrimination laws protecting transgender people's access to facilities consistent with the gender they live every day. And then went on to say that none of those jurisdictions have seen a rise in sexual violence or other public safety issues due to non-discrimination laws. Assaulting another person in a restroom or changing room remains against the law in every single state. End quote. Now, the person that made that quote's name is Chase Strangio, I believe. I apologize, Chase, if I have mispronounced your last name. Chase, as I mentioned, is the staff attorney at the ACLU LGBT Project. Tony Troop is a spokesperson for Jane Doe, Inc., which is the statewide sexual assault victims organization in Massachusetts. Uh, she was quoted as saying, quote, the argument that providing transgender rights will result in an increase of sexual violence against women or men in public bathrooms is beyond specious. 
The only people at risk are the transgender men and women whose rights to self-determination, dignity, and freedom of violence are too often denied. We have not heard of any problems since the passage of the law in Massachusetts in 2011, nor do we expect this to be a problem, end quote. And, you know, the other issue that I take with, with this that, that perverts might use this to exploit, you know, they exploit this law to, to gain access, barring an entire population from using the restroom congruent with their gender identity to keep a very few offenders out is ridiculous discriminatory, and it punishes people that have nothing to do with the problem. It's assuming that most of the people that claim that we have to enact these laws that keep hundreds of thousands of trans people from using the correct bathroom are the same people that claim we should never take away law-abiding citizens' guns just because a few people decide to use their guns for violence. And honestly, even that parallel isn't really accurate because gun owners... And those who commit gun-related violence have the gun in common. Sex offenders come in all shapes, sizes, ages, and sexes. The only commonality that sex offenders have with the larger trans population is that they are both human. And by that logic, all people should be banned from all public bathrooms. Now listen, I know that sounds ridiculous, banning all public bathrooms, but I wouldn't put it past some municipalities. There are now counties in Alabama that said, well, if you're going to make us perform gay weddings, we're just not going to perform any weddings. So rather than grant equal rights to all couples, they stripped rights equally from all couples. The lengths people will go to deny true equality and progress is sometimes laughable and quite honestly infuriating. Now, there, there are some folks that kind of come to this discussion you know, since these laws really deal with uh, multi-stall or multi-person uh, single-sex restrooms, right? We're talking about multi-stall restrooms, multi-stall locker rooms, not single-stall, although it does occasionally apply to that too, depending on which law you're looking at. Um, but a lot of folks come to the conversation and basically said, why can't we just give trans people their own bathroom and be done with it? Just... No. <laughs> let's let's ignore for a moment the enormous cost of building separate bathrooms for just trans people to use and focus on the segregation of that idea. Those bathrooms would single people out, outing them as trans and putting them in as much danger. There is a reason why the primary ruling in Brown versus Board of Education was that separate but equal is inherently unequal. Know your history, folks, or be doomed to repeat it. I've also had people say to me, I, I just don't see the big deal. Just use the bathroom for the junk you have. Go through the surgery and change your birth certificate. <laughs> Genitalia does not determine gender or sex. Just as women have lost breast to breast cancer or other medical conditions, there are more men than one might imagine that have lost their penises to war, accidents, or medical conditions. They are no less men and are not expected to start using a different restroom, just as women without breasts are no less women. Okay? If you look at the scientific side of it, chromosomes, hormones, and plenty of other factors are credited in determining quote-unquote biological sex, none of which determine gender. If all we look at is anatomy, then where does that leave intersex folks? There are several different variations of genitalia or chromosomes that make up the category of intersex. 
These are folks that were born with anatomy or genetics that differ from the socially expected presentation of male or female bodies. And one of the most common forms, Kleinfelter syndrome, or having XXY chromosomes, occurs in roughly one in every 1,000 births. Where does that leave genderqueer people? Or people who otherwise do not identify within the gender binary, right? This isn't just about folks that identify as trans. This affects a lot of different people. It affects trans folks that identify on the binary. It affects trans folks that do not identify on the binary. It affects masculine presenting women. It affects feminine presenting men. It affects intersex people. There are a lot of people that these laws affect. There are also plenty of trans people that don't have surgery for a multitude of reasons, right? There's cost, there's how they identify, there's medical inability, there's fear. And quite honestly, whether someone has a particular surgery to treat a medical condition is legally none of your business. There are tons of laws that protect a person's private medical history. But as soon as someone identifies as trans, society at large believes they suddenly have some right to that information. They don't. You don't. But let's say that you fall into the category of a trans person that both wants and is able to have surgery in order to change your birth certificate. There are no guarantees that you can even do that. Each state sets its own requirements as to who, how, and when you can change your birth certificate. Some states allow you to change your birth certificate while just on hormones. Some allow you to change it with just top surgery and no bottom surgery. Some states do not allow you to change your birth certificate under any circumstances. And the state that gets to choose that is the state a person is born in, not the state they live in. An individual can't change where they were born, no matter where they currently live. They still have to go through their birth state for a certificate change. Currently, there are at least four states that do not allow a change to the sex on a birth certificate, regardless of the extent of transition, regardless of surgery. Now look, that's a lot of what folks have asked me. These, these are the things we're concerned about. What, what do you have to say about this? Or these, these are the arguments that they bring to me. Like this, and this is the arguments that they bring to a lot of trans people. But you know what? Outside of the points and counterpoints and all of that, here's the reality. The reality, these laws affect trans people regardless of their birth certificate. Regardless of how a trans person looks, if someone is made uncomfortable by their presence, the burden is on them to prove that they have a legal right to be there. And I don't know a single person that carries their birth certificate with them, regardless of the gender marker that it holds. The reality is that these laws actually do the opposite of their intended claim. These laws don't protect anyone. In fact, they put more trans people at risk of assault and discrimination. As for the cis people that are trying to claim protection, it's an illusion. They don't address a single issue that it proposes to fix. These laws actually put men in women's rooms and women in men's rooms. There are thousands of trans people that are read as their correct gender each and every day, but for one reason or another, do not have a corrected birth certificate. By law, they must use the wrong restroom and locker room even if they've already had all the surgeries you claim are necessary. And this includes transgender children. There are a lot of trans folks that, if they were to follow the law, 
would likely be arrested because most folks would see them as in the wrong bathroom. These laws don't solve any problems. They just create new ones. The reality is that these laws have led to gender policing and some transphobic people pushing their way into women's bathrooms and frightening people. A man in Frisco, Texas, just a few days ago, followed a woman into the bathroom just this weekend because he said she was, quote, dressed like a man. This woman does not identify as trans and was just wearing a t-shirt and basketball shorts. And then the director of the American Family Association admitted to sending men into women's bathrooms. They admitted to sending people who do not identify as trans, who identify as cis men, into women's bathrooms. So let me get this straight. You don't want men in women's bathrooms. And since that isn't really happening, you're going to send men into women's bathrooms and claim that there's a problem? You are the problem. The reality, everyone has been using bathrooms with trans people their entire lives, and everyone is just fine. In fact, the majority of people don't even realize it. The reality is that these laws are just another example of enshrining transphobia under the guise of protection. The same protection argument has been used time and time again against whoever the enemy of the day was or is. During the hundred years of Jim Crow laws that legalized segregation, the threat was said to be black citizens. According to Donald Trump, it's immigrants from Mexico. And according to proponents of these laws, it's the trans population. Claim the noble yet false goal of, quote, protecting our women and children, and in the process, strip minority groups of their basic civil liberties. As so many people have already stated, it wasn't about water fountains then, and it isn't about bathrooms now. This is not about that. This is about ignorance, fear, and hate, because when you break down every argument in favor of these discriminatory wastes of resources, they are baseless. For those trans folks that are affected by these laws, I want you to know about a couple of resources that I've found that you can check out and pass along. Now, obviously, there are plenty, but these are two that I have found that I thought uh, folks should really know about. The first is the Sylvia Rivera Law Project has a documentary video called Toilet Training. And you can find more info at srlp.org slash resources slash toilet training. And the second is you can download the Refuge Restrooms iOS app. Uh, it's a free app that maps safe restrooms for trans, intersex, and gender nonconforming folks. And it also shows whether the restroom is wheelchair accessible. Um, if you don't see a safe restroom that you know is there, you can add that on the app as well. Now, if you don't have an iOS device, if you if you have Android or um, a flip phone or don't have access to a, a cell phone or smartphone, you can still access all of this information at refugerestrooms.org. If you have had a bathroom experience or another story that you'd like to show, I want to hear from you. I am always looking for new submissions for the Strong Stance Stories. And if you'd like to submit a story or just want more information, shoot me an email at thestrongstance at gmail.com. So that's about all I have for this episode. I want to thank our listeners, as always, for tuning in. Special thanks to the executive producer of the Back to Us Radio Network, the amazing Anise Mabry. Now, I have to go unpack 
because I just got back from, you guessed it, North Carolina. Be safe, everyone, and I'll see you next time. My name is Eli Strong, and this has been The Strong Stance.